Welcome to another episode of Differences Not Deficits, where we discuss what we are learning and changing in our therapy so we can support and empower neurodivergent individuals with compassion and respect. Thank you for listening so we can all learn together. The primary purpose of Differences Not Deficits is to educate and inform. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not constitute educational or medical advice. Listeners should consult with their professionals familiar with each individual or family for specific guidance. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Differences Not Deficits. So we wanted to start with a quote, and this quote is from Brene Brown. In order to empathize with someone's experience, you must be willing to believe them as they see it and not how you imagine their experience to be. That quote really resonated with us for this episode in particular because uh, we are going to be talking about kind of believing the individuals that we work with. So, but I just wanted to share something that came up for me um, recently in my own work, my own personal work. As I've shared in previous episodes, I come from kind of that generation where you're seen but not heard. And what came up for me as I was doing some work on myself is it wasn't just about not being seen or heard, but it was also about not being believed. I wasn't believed. I I can't even like so many times in my life that just no one really believing that what I was saying was true, even though everything inside me knew I was telling the truth. And I think so often as adults, we're just in parents and well, therapists, teachers, you could name multiple people were just quick to dismiss the things that children or teens say and automatically maybe try and control, but just putting it out there, what if we listen to their perspective and give them that respect and which is honestly what I have kind of changed within my own relationship with my son is just listening and hearing what he has to say has made a huge impact. Just wanted to share that briefly, but continuing on this, this quote just resonates because we're continuing this conversation um, about new ways of thinking. And along those lines, we kind of, we just wanted to share an example with you that came up with one of our clients um, that was kind of eye-opening. And truly it is, you have to believe what he's saying. And by believing, it's kind of amazing where that can go. Um, So I have a young man who is about 20 years old and he communicates verbally and in writing. His communication is often in the form of questions. So it takes some time to understand exactly what he's wanting to say. So I have to ask a lot of questions back, but to really get to the meaning of that. And then he writes some of it and then he likes to share about it. But so he's been sharing about many of his experiences throughout his life, which is very clearly helping him to process those situation and situations and he's healing from it. And actually we're seeing a change and he's just happier. He's yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, but recently he had a question and he was, he said, why did so-and-so and he gave a name, give an X for non-compliance. So at first I asked him who was the name that he gave me. And, and he said, ABA. And I said, okay, well, then what were you doing? And he said, yelling. I said, okay, well, let, can you tell me more? Um, were you yelling because you didn't like something? Did you not understand what the, were you doing a, like an activity or a task that you didn't understand? 
And he said, having fun. I was like, oh, so you were having fun. Were you doing a fun activity? These are, I was asking him that. And then he pointed to his throat because, so we, we have been talking about interception. We talk about feelings in the body. We talk about, you know, different feelings and different sounds he hears, different feelings, different noises he makes, things like that. So he pointed to his throat and he ran his finger down. I said, oh, your throat. I said, what? And he said, funny. And I was like, oh my gosh. So several times he's mentioned like making loud noises. When you laugh really loud, that gives you a funny feeling in your throat. Yeah. So he, so it was all about the funny feeling that he gets in his throat and how that makes him feel. So for that, it's entertaining. It's entertaining for him to have that feeling in his throat. Now, this is mm-hmm. not in, this is not a just him thing. We've heard this from autistic adults. In fact, I would think, was it mentioned maybe with Kim that we, do you remember that, Yolandi? I think it might have been, yeah, or even with Chloe. Feeling and yeah, like the feelings that some of the sensations are can be really entertaining. Yeah, or even just feel good. Yeah, just yeah, and really feel good. Yes. And he and of course you want to keep going with that. So so that was a, a wow moment for both Yolandi and I. Right. So like even going back to the question that he asked to try to understand this, he's like, you know, why did my ABA at the time, and I have to say this was when he was younger, give me an X for non-compliance. And immediately, you know, if, if I'm wearing my behaviorist hat, it's, oh, you do a cost response program where it's, you know, you get three negative tokens for undesired behavior and you get five positive ones for the correct behavior or the desired behavior that you want to see. And even in a social setting, of course, it's not okay to make loud noises. That's not, you know, the normative of what's supposed to happen. And if you use kind of a cost response program in order to teach that child, like, hey, this is not what I want to see, but these are the things I do want to see. And as this boy was talking, I got tears in my eyes because I would have also implemented kind of a cost response saying, hey, these are the things I don't want to see, but these are the things I do want to see. Because of course, in a classroom, you can't yell and scream and and make loud, Mm -hmm. funny noises because people automatically think it's non-compliance or it's it's, oh, that's not socially acceptable. So what can I do to replace it? But if it was for him, his shared enjoyment of the activity, you know, if I would have known that it was a good feel good, I mean, I, I didn't yeah. work with this, this boy when he was younger, but I can see how an ABA therapist would have been like, oh man, he's screaming, got to do something different. You know, whether it's like move their clip down or show them a visual of how I don't want to see this. Mm-hmm. But if it was, him doing it out of fun, maybe I would have replaced his language with an appropriate laugh or let's not laugh that loud. Or discuss like what, how this is making him feel. So, I mean, like, I think now as we're talking about feelings inside the body, we would talk about, oh, okay, well, if, if yelling and using that loud laugh is, is something fun for you, maybe we, we find some places that you can do that in. But this, you know, whatever situation, like a school situation or a, um, a quiet situation is not going to be the time that we're going to do that. And the thing is, is that we also, what I think is, is often happens with, particularly with um, individuals who don't have a lot of language, it's almost assumed that they don't understand anything. And yet I think if he, if we could have, you know, back then known that this was funny and this was entertaining, well, there could be a whole different therapy that would have been implemented Mm -hmm. to help him understand all situations. And guess what? That leads to long-term 
learning and long-term understanding, which is so much more helpful for him and really the people around him. Right? Because if you think about it, what he actually learned is, I -hmm. can't make my feel-good noises (laughs) because I'm truly happy inside because people think it's non-compliance. And so how can I express myself in happiness if I don't know how to replace that with? So it's almost like a punishment for him saying, you are not allowed to be happy in happy situations because you didn't socially appropriately show it to me. Right. And he truly did not understand why he got the X. He really truly, and then I think that's what the heartbreaking part is too, is that so many times we are, and me too, as a um, speech therapist, I'm having him do things that truly they don't understand why the heck I'm making them do this. Uh, but it's it's part of what the box that I have to check. And so it's just that helping them to understand. And, and really, this doesn't just, this isn't just about therapy or working with clients. It's also just about being a parent. Oftentimes we, our kids need to understand why we're setting a limit for something. And truly, it helps. It helps when you have discussions and you treat them like they're, well, you treat them with as much respect as you would treat an adult. Because I think sometimes that's that's forgotten that they their feelings are real. And I think too, we we rely so much on somebody absorbing in their regular world. Like, you know, you go to school and you absorb there. You go to church and you absorb things there. You hang out with your friends and you absorb things there. So you you learn from your environment. And we know that, you know, people on the autism spectrum or even neurodivergent people have a difficult time with that, that they don't necessarily pick up on those social cues or things that I should have learned without someone actually sitting down and explaining it to me. But if you've never had answers to those questions and you are trying your hardest to be the best you can be, but you don't understand it, how is that actually going to change what your behavior is? How is that going to, in the future, make it better for you because you don't understand it. So why would you keep doing it? So we see these reoccurrence of behaviors or we see these reoccurring things that are going on. It's because that person actually didn't understand why. Didn't understand you can't scream when you're in the movie theater because even though you think it's funny and it's it's a feel good for you, the social implications is you are quiet in a theater. And yes, you can giggle, but we're not outbursting laughing. So if we're not explaining those little nuances that we think we normally just pick up, did you just pick up on that because everyone else was doing it? Did your mom tell you like, hey, you will not talk these next two hours? Or where did that explanation come from? Or did you just know? You have to explain those things because it doesn't come innately. It doesn't And you have no idea what questions they actually do have. And to you, it might seem like, oh my God, this is common sense. How do you not know this? That's very difficult. And that brings up, so for the same young man, he he teaches us so much. It was when Yolani's talking about like just the really not understanding. So he was another time that he was, he was talking about how he got an X or no, it was a clip down for that one. He was, he's like, why do I get a clip down? This was middle school, right? Middle elementary no, no, this one might have been younger. I think this was younger. This was younger. Um, the one that we just talked about, he was 14. Um, but this one, I think, was younger. And he said, uh, why do I get a clip down for farting? And then he said, and why does farting sometimes smell good? And I was like, okay, all right. 
Yeah, we really had to explore yeah, that one. So I really and it was it was it was so funny. I but it was so like again, just eye-opening because it's like he was really curious. It what this wasn't like he genuinely wanted to know why did I get a clip down for that? Because I thought it was not good. So I had so what I had to do was explain to him that okay, maybe you're not bothered by you passing gas, but the person with you is bothered by the smell that you produce. And so they don't think it smells good. They would think that it smells bad. And he's like, well, why does it smell okay to me? And so I said, well, because it's your body and maybe it's not as bad for you. And then I'm like, well, why don't we, why don't we look that up? So we looked it up and it said something like, because it's your body and producing this, and that it's the sense that you are used to smelling that it doesn't affect you. So it wouldn't be like offensive to you. And and then I went on to say, I'm like, yeah, but if you were to pass gas right now in front of Miss Debbie, I would be like, oh God, please don't do that. That's horrible. I can't stand it. And he's like, and I'm like, does that make sense? And he's like, yeah. And after that, and then I, I think I don't, Yolandi wasn't with me, but I, I went, I just, had to tell Yolandi about that because I was like, this was so eye-opening. Who are we to judge that a fart smell actually smells good to you? I mean, I know that's a bizarre thought because yeah, you, know, you would normally say that and it's like, okay, that's ridiculous. Like farts <laughs> don't smell good. But you know, what if you have a different sensory system and smelling those smells that are so, you know, opposite end of what you're used to is, is calming and a nice smell or realizing that, oh, other people can make this bad smell too. And that's nice. I'm not the only one. Like, who knows? Yeah, it was it was a very interesting conversation. But he really, but the point of it is, is that he really genuinely didn't understand why he got the clip down. He just knew he was being bad. He knew. And again, with the other one, he just knew that being yes. that loud sound yelling or laughing loud is bad he didn't know that there was like something more to it and that it would actually bother other people like he he really genuinely that is that's his mm -hmm. neurology that is his neurology doesn't pick up on that you know because by the time he was probably the age he was with this whenever that happened with the passing gas thing he was at the age where he would have already picked up on the social cues and understood that it smelled bad and that that's just something that is mm -hmm. better to do in the bathroom. And and so I asked him, I'm like, so now that we've talked about that, where would you, what would you do if you were to, if you, where would you pass gas? Where would you, where would be a better, where would be a good place for you to pass gas? And he's like, in the bathroom. I'm like, okay. I'm like, yeah, that would be the best place. And so he understood it, but it was like, it just gave him the, the understanding and it's just answering questions that are so simple, but yet so important. Correct. And it's that understanding of like, do you actually realize we're different? Do you realize that we perceive the world different? We feel it differently. And, you know, he might not have had the understanding because he's mm -hmm. like, well, I'm this way. Everyone's this way. And nobody sat down and explained to me like, oh, yes. everything is different for everyone. And maybe if I had that explanation in the beginning, I would have been like, Oh, you're making a frown noise face. You're covering your nose. I pick up on the fact mm -hmm. that, oh, you're different than me and you don't like it. 
But that social cue is never there. That was never like, oh, I looked at people and their faces frowned and scrimped, like closed, clogged their noses. It was more of like, well, it smells good to me. Doesn't it smell good? And then I laugh and giggle. And so, of course, we're not saying don't implement things to to change behavior or... And don't teach, of course. Correct. But at the same time, what we're what Debbie and I are kind of pointing at and want you to think about is that maybe there is another layer that we actually haven't thought about. People are now in the age of discovering who they authentically are and trying to be honest about that. And so if you don't actually have like, oh, wow, I don't understand this. Well, because we're different. And if no one explained it to you, it's just like a baby. That baby's not going to know anything until you teach him things. And if we don't teach, continuously teach, even into adulthood, they're not going to have that understanding that we think they already have. And even for me, like I'm learning different things every day and people are like, oh my God, you didn't know that? How did you know that? I'm like, it's the first time I'm hearing about it. Now I have to read about it. Now I have to research and read this book and look at this because I'm like, oh my God, someone said something. We all do that. It's just, I am more socially aware to go, oh my God, I need to, I need to read up about that. You're right. Let me not answer you. Let me look at it. But if a person doesn't have that neurology that can't ask those questions and people are just assuming, especially if you are non-speaking, yeah, that gets really tricky and hard. Yeah. And it's very clear that we are not saying that they don't, that they don't need help because everybody needs help and, and everybody needs to learn and taking in their perspective. And that, that really goes to kind of, you know, not always understanding the autistic perspective. Um, and we can, we'll probably share more. We'll probably maybe hit on that in another episode about the double empathy problem. Cause that is a, um, yeah, that's a really big thing. A lot of autistic adults are talking about. Yeah. We'll probably dive into that in another episode, but, but yeah, just for now, think about things maybe in a little different way. You know, once you kind of authentically know who you are, what you like, you have the understanding that people are different. You kind of have a better understanding of how to access some of these therapies, how to access things that you wouldn't normally, if you had some of those answers answered or questions answered, then would you keep doing the same thing over and over? Because I'm just assuming you, you know, once you start kind of going down that you start having more of an authentic relationship with that person and can understand them a little bit better. And we see a lot of stress leave. We see a lot of, you know, oh, like somebody's explaining it to me, thank goodness, and not just telling me I should know. Kind of taking a step back and going, okay, do you know who you are? Do you know what you feel and think? Do you know what I am? And do you know what I'm feeling and thinking and why I would come to these conclusions? And it's just more of an explanation. Yeah, and so on that note, just just to end, it really, what Yolandi mentioned about relationship, it truly is about the relationship. And, and the more that we take the time to listen to what is really happening inside, the more we build that relationship. And then you see growth that you almost didn't expect to see. So we'll just leave you with that and we will talk to you soon. We love hearing from you. So if you have questions, comments, or just want to connect, you can find our links to LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram on our show notes. Feel free to drop us a message, leave us a comment, or ask a question, or just share your thoughts with us. Your thoughts matter, and we can't wait to hear from you.